You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Ted Lowe, welcome to Real Faith Stories. Man, it is great to have you on the program. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, me too, Brian. Thanks for having me. You have a very interesting quote I'd like to read, and that is, thinking is the thing most of us aren't thinking about. I love that. And we're going to dig into that during our conversation today. Before we do, I'd love for you to share a little bit of your backstory and then how you got involved for over 20 years in the area of working with married couples and really the incredible journey you took in writing the most recent book called Us in Mind and how you needed major convincing <laughs> to actually write that book. So, Ted, please share a little bit of your backstory. Yeah, absolutely. So, my wife, Nancy, and I have been married for 27 years now. We have four kids ranging in ages from 12 to 22. So, we asked for prayer. Yeah. Uh, as, as you know, I've just got half as many kids as you have, and it still feels a little a little crazy some days, but I started working with married couples in 2001. I was hired as the director of married life at a church here in the Atlanta area where we live. And I look back now and I think, I, I kind of don't know who was crazier at the time, me for saying yes to that position or them for offering it. Cause Nathan and I've been married at the time about six years and we laugh, we say, and we weren't even that great at it. But if nothing else, I was enthusiastic. And I remember thinking, I am going to learn everything there is to know about marriage. And so Brian, I went to the place that you'd go in 2001 to learn everything there is to, to know about marriage. I went to Barnes and Noble. Right on. So, so I went there and I remember walking in and asking one of the workers there, I said, can you show me where the marriage books are? And she walks me over and I said, oh, this shelf. And she goes, no, this section. And I remember thinking, that is a lot for me to learn. Yeah. That is a whole, that is a whole. And then I remember having this burden thinking about the person whose full-time job was not to think about marriage, which is, you know, most married people on the planet walk, walking up to this same section of books and just feeling overwhelmed and maybe more discouraged than ever. So for the last 20 plus years, my commitment has been, I'm going to do what most people don't have the time to do or the reality of their life doesn't allow them to do. And I just, I want to dig through scripture. I want to dig through research and just find what is it that helps couples to have the marriage that, that they want. You know, and as you and I were talking about yesterday, I don't believe couples have bad hearts. I, I just think sometimes they can have bad habits because nobody tells us how to do this, right? Like mm-hmm. nobody teaches us how to be married. So I get really excited after all these years still of really wanting to help couples to have a great marriage and give them applications in the real life and mm-hmm. the real world that they they can do. So so that's been kind of my story of the last, since 2001. So still yeah. going at it. You're a grizzled veteran. <laughs> I've, I've become so. As you initially started your research at Barnes & Noble, what was one of your biggest original aha moments? Do you recall? You know, I think one of the things that I think was helpful, I didn't know it at the time and I realize it now, was we, because it was a larger church, we knew that we were going to be 
that there were going to a lot of be a lot of people at our events. So we would do quarterly events, and I knew there were going to be a lot of people there that weren't of faith, or there'd be a couple there, and one spouse would be more about wanting to change their marriage or make it better than the spouse they were with. So kind of the aha moment that I had then I haven't changed since is I usually just speak to the individual so much marriage advice. And I'm not saying this is wrong. It's just not the way I do it starts with as a couple, you need to go do fill in the blank. And so for me, I thought if we'll just empower the individual and talk to people's individuals and, and really talk to people no matter where they are in their faith, and we're still going to be able to reach more people than if we get really singular focus, assuming that everyone is of faith, but also assuming that everybody's in the same spot wanting to help their marriage. I've just found that couples are in different uh, spots. Um, so that was kind of one of the big ahas. And the other one was I feel like we've made marriage way too complicated. I feel like marriage may not be easy to live out, but it is easy to understand the things that really make it better are really not as complicated as I think most of us have been led to believe. So what is one of the two or three things that makes marriage easier than we think it is? You know, people say this a lot. They say marriage is so complicated. And I say, well, it's not necessarily complicated. It's, I think the better phrase is marriage is just so close. You know, it's a, mm. we put everything in close proximity. And so I think the easy thing to understand, but not the easy thing to always live out is just saying, you know, I'm just going to love first. I am going to love my spouse first. I'm going to go first. I'm not going to keep score. I'm going to step forward. And so that's, again, that's not easy, but it is easy to understand. And when we watch people living this out, it's pretty beautiful. When you see two people that are trying to outserve each other, it's a mm-hmm. beautiful thing. So I think it's seeing the best in our spouse and it's just little things of just saying, you know what, I'm not keeping score. I'm just going to go first and trust the process. The essence of that, as you're sharing that with me, comes to mind is it's really walking by faith when you lead with love because you don't expect necessarily an outcome that's going to benefit you. You're just doing it because you know by faith it's the right thing to do and God will honor it, right? Right. That's it. I mean, it's stepping out saying, I'm going to love when my spouse is not being very lovable. So I want to transition here into the process you went through for your most recent book, again, called Us in Mind. Tell me what happened with respect to this question, this burning question you had, what it led you into, and then this convincing that you needed to actually write a book about it, because you didn't start with that in mind at all. No, absolutely not. So I've, this is the third book I've written, and I'm, I'm just going to keep it real with you, Brian. I had ADHD long before it was cool to have it. <laughs> so for me, and I say this in the book, for me, writing a book is like lassoing squirrels and then teaching them to sit still. You know, I, that's, it feels about as feasible as that. But during 2020, I had more time on my hands to to focus. And I thought, you know what I'm doing? I'm going to study. And I do. I'm a little bit of a geek and I do love to study about what makes marriage work. And so I thought there's a couple of mysteries that have been circling my brain for years that I'm thinking, I'm just going to figure that out. One of them was I couldn't understand why people would read the same marriage book or go to the same marriage event, same exact content. And some would take those truths and apply it and others wouldn't. Or the thing of people that would actually We'd get a divorce, yet not do any kind of thought behind it. You know, should we do counseling or should we find someone? That always blew me away. And then just this whole idea, what makes happy couples happy? 
And so, again, dove into the research and the answers to all those questions landed in the same place. It all came from the same place. And I found that scripture and marriage research and even neuroscience all landed in the same place that your thoughts matter most. Because our thoughts are not our actions or our attitudes, but they lead to both. And so as I started digging into this and then started applying it to myself personally, I just couldn't believe the difference a few guiding thoughts could make. And I knew this was true in other areas, but to apply it to marriage, I got really excited about that. And then I had this moment, I was like, oh, no. I feel like I'm supposed to write a book about this. And it, wasn't, it wasn't one of those, yay, that's going to be fun because I knew better. I knew better. And you as an author, Brian, you know, you know this. It's, it's not an easy process. But I did feel like, okay, I feel like maybe this is what God's going to call me to do. So I'm just going to take that next step in that direction talked to my publisher and I went, is this something you're interested in? Just to, you know, hoping they would say not at all. Right. Just kidding. Uh, uh, <laughs> going, God, I was going to be obedient, but it was that moment they said, yes, let's move forward with this. So I needed some convincing for sure, but I'm so glad now that I'm on the other side of it that I did. Let me pause on that thought for a second. And I think this is really instructive with respect to the way the Lord piques our curiosity in something, you know, I think that he puts in us a certain curiosity for certain things, right? And we get curious about something, we start digging into it, and then in your case, you kept digging and digging, and then you saw these principles arise, and you couldn't help but ask the question, maybe I should write a book about this. Right? right? So you go to your publisher and you're thinking, man, I hope he doesn't say yes, because I know what it's been like the past two books to write a book. So then they say, yeah, great idea. And you're thinking, dang it, I got to lasso squirrels again and get him to sit still. <laughs> That's a great point. I love that reflection on that because it is that curiosity that, that leads us in. It is, it is the carrot, right? It yeah. It draws us in. I believe that there are people listening to this that have a, a fascination as well with a particular subject matter. And then the stuff that for them, that matter is common as dirt. I mean, it's like everybody should know this. They don't. Right. And I think they should ask the Lord, God, is there a book in here? Is there some teaching? Is there something you want me to share that will benefit other people? And that's exactly what you did. I want to encourage listeners too to say it. The things that you are so passionate about, you're so curious about, that you're that you're digging into. Again, that's just such a great point. The thing we know so well, we think everybody does. My first cousin, she's a personal trainer, and she's like, you know, we think that everybody understands these things that we're doing every day, but they really don't, and they're very passionate about that, and they really tie their faith to that. And I just think. Wow, it's just another example. They stepped out on faith and started doing personal training. But it was like, I just wondered, my listening right now, like, what is that thing that you're so passionate about that maybe yeah. uh, others just had a clue of that, just a, a glimpse of that, and that information could really make a difference in their lives? We short shrift our skill set and our curiosity and the things God's put in us because it's just normal to us. Our own gifts are not amazing to us, are they? Like, we no. see somebody do something and and we're like, wow, and it doesn't mean anything to them in terms of, that's not amazing to them, it's just commonplace. That's great points. The reason I'm even bringing this up again is your process here. So tell me what happened 
when you wrote this book and you had some revelations about five key points for marriage that you found after all this research that are critical. And then really the whole neuro relationship here and speaking words and hearing them, et cetera. Could you dive into that, please? Absolutely. I narrowed it down to, after looking at the marriage research and looking at the neuroscience and then with scripture about just how God is so loud and clear about us not letting our minds run on autopilot. And that was a big aha from, for me when I started realizing that I listen to the voice in my head. I call him Fred. I call him Fred in my head. <laughs> and my, my Fred is pretty critical and has been my whole life. And I started to realize through this whole process that I live like what Fred says is true. And my Fred is not kind a lot of times, is very judgmental, is very condemning. And so all of a sudden, start comparing what Fred has to say to me and about me compared to what God says was a huge moment for me. And so when I've been teaching this content live and people come up to me afterwards and start talking about their Freds, it's been unbelievable just how that's resonated with people. I mean, I had a a guy from the corporate world comes up to me, he's 75 years old, and he said, my Fred has been mean to me my whole life. Wow. And it just, it broke my heart. At the same time, it gave me hope to go, well, maybe there's a way for us to deal with Fred. So that's the that's the first chapter that we do is what do you think about yourself and comparing what Fred says to you with what God says about you mm. and to you. So that's the first one is remember who you are. The second one is see the best. And this is starts with a question of what do you think about your spouse? Because what they found in the research over and over and again is what happy couples do differently than unhappy couples is their viewpoint of their spouse. Like one neurological study they did, they did a brain scan of couples that had been married an average of 21 years who reported being madly in love, which I, I love that. Like after 21 years, yes, we would say we're still madly in love. And there are three areas of the brain where they had similar brain activity. And one of them was the area of the brain responsible for a thing called positive illusion. And that's the ability to focus on what you do love and not focus on what you don't. Mm. Uh, I've kind of twisted that and said, what if we let what we love about our spouse block the view of what we don't. So good. Uh, and so we talk a lot about seeing the best. You know, we see your spouse like you hope they're seeing you. And so I ask couples to to run their spouse through the lens of Philippians 4.8, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right. Because, Brian, I think the thing that people have the most hesitancy about this kind of thinking is they think, oh, is this just living in denial? It's just rose-colored glasses, and it's not at all. I mean, Philippians Four eight starts with whatever's true, you know, and mm-hmm. the truth is someone's being hurt emotionally or physically. The truth of that, that's got to be dealt with. But I think also when we start with what's true, that's also well, like what's great about my spouse. So I really encourage people to see the best in their spouse. The third one, what are you doing with your spouse's emotions? Because our spouses, their emotions, you know, they're all over the place sometimes and we don't understand them. And what makes them excited doesn't make us excited. And sometimes what makes them sad doesn't make us sad. So it's really this idea of choosing empathy, you know, rejoice with those who rejoice and cry with those who cry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one little side note on that that I get excited about is we think that empathy is just being there with our spouse doing the tough stuff. One study shows just like this verse tells us to do, rejoice with those who rejoice, says how we celebrate with our spouse is more predictive of a strong relationship than how we fight. Wow. And I love that. And I thought, boy, this is an easy one for us to take hold of, to say, you know what? When they smile, I'm going to smile back. 
if they walk in excited about Christmas decorations and I wish we didn't even put them up, you know, I'm going to get so excited about that. Or college football just started and and I don't really like that, but I'm going to be really excited that they do. Whatever that is that we start, you know, when they make bids of connections towards us, as Dr. John Gottman says, that we emotionally connect with them. And the fourth is pause. The research shows that the same part of your brain that gets triggered if you were to put your hand on a hot stove, it's the same part of your brain that gets triggered when your wife triggers you. And the problem with that is our logical part of our brain when we're triggered in the amygdala, our logical part of our brain goes out to lunch. Mm -hmm. So this helps explain why people that say that they want to be great spouses find themselves doing that thing again that they said they wouldn't do again. Because the logical part of their brain that knows this goes out to lunch. So just this whole encouraging, like, pause. Because pausing leads to better responses versus negative reactions. I mean, saying you're sorry is great, but not having to is way better. Just inserting a pause, you know, and Scripture's so clear about that. In James, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And that was the other thing I loved about this was in the complexity of neuroscience and marriage research, God gives us this very simple way. And it's like, hey, start listening and be slow to speak and slow to become angry. And then the last one is, is one I've already mentioned is love first. You know, when you think about from a faith perspective, what do we do with the ultimate act of submission from Jesus is we submit back. And obviously, we can never repay huge act of submission, but mm. it gives us lots of little opportunities to submit in smaller ways. It's kind of a reminder to say, you know what, this is my way of loving you back. When you loved me when it wasn't fair, when you submitted when it was the worst thing in the history of mankind, I've got an opportunity today to model that. Mm. Yeah. So that's, those are the things I feel like and I'll even tell people that read the book or are at retreats. I'll say, Hey, you know what? Don't even be overwhelmed by five thoughts. Pick one and focus on that for a week and see what happens. You know, it reminds me of the term I heard. I don't even remember where I heard it. The three second pause. It just yeah. allows you count to three before you say something. And yeah. I, I remember practicing that, but it changed the way I viewed things. Yeah, just that little little pause is so important. So I'm curious, of the five that you mentioned, which one do you see most people having the most challenge with? It's truly about how they feel about themselves. Like, how are they thinking about themselves? Like, of all this material, and, and again, different people resonate with difference, but I do think the one that's the most challenging for people is how they view themselves. And this is so important because it impacts you, right? Like, if you're mm -hmm. driving home from work... And your friend is saying, you're an idiot, or you did terrible today at work, you're probably going to lose your job with those thoughts swirling around your head, you walk in the door, your spouse is not going to connect with a person who's ready to love, they're going to connect with a person who's worried and anxious. And so it just, you bring all those emotions in. And I just really excited about people getting freedom from that. Because that's, it's probably because it's been such a challenge of my own life. Like I get really vulnerable in the book about my own battle with Fred and ADHD and anxiety. And to be honest, one of the things that, you know, talking about God challenging you, making you step out in faith was I get very vulnerable in the book and I kept ugh, going back and forth. Like, how deep am I going to go? How, mm -hmm. how far am I willing to reveal my own personal struggles with this? I kind of grew up during a time you didn't talk about counseling. You didn't talk about the sort of thing. Yeah. Or you were seen as weak or broken. 
and Fred was all up and going, you better not tell anybody. You mm-hmm. better keep that, keep that part out of the story. And luckily my wife, Nancy's voice was louder than Fred's. And she was like, you've got to share that. You've got to share that. And I'm really glad that I did because I think it's freeing some people up to think about their own challenges and be vulnerable with somebody else. You know, as people struggle with that first point, really it boils down to their identity and whether they're going to listen to the lies of the enemy that have filtered into their brain through that Fred, what have you found has been the best antidote to overcome that? There is a exercise that's been done probably three or four decades that helps you process this. And I put my own twist to it, but it has been unbelievably powerful. And I can almost say instant in some ways that you sit down and you write down what thought that Fred said. Mm -hmm. You, You write it down or you type it out. And then there's categories. I say Fred's got a lot of side hustles. He's a mind reader. He's an interpreter. He's a shamer. He puts labels on you and you say, okay, which of these categories is he using? And then what would your Abba father say to you? Wow. You know, what would he say back to you? And even when you've done something wrong, even when you've done something you regret, even when you've said something you shouldn't, Fred will condemn you in a way that Abba will not. Fred's way is not productive. God's way is loving Heavenly Father going, hey, let's talk about that. Let's think about that. Mm -hmm. That wasn't that wasn't okay, but there's grace in the morning, right? And so it's just a different way. And it's this exercise. In fact, I have been jumping up and down with people just going, just try it. It's so simple. I had this lady come up to me after this retreat I did a couple weekends ago. And I had noticed, like she was a greeter. And I mean, she and her husband just had, both of them just had this countenance about them that was so confident and so loving and so outwardly focused. And she comes up to me and she says, my Fred is mean to me every day, tells me I don't measure up as a wife. I don't measure up as a mom. My Fred says, you're not attractive. My Fred says, you're just not enough. And so it's not always people that, that are walking around with their head tucked that yeah. struggle with Fred. But this little exercise, I not told her, I said, hey, this isn't like, hey, I need to exercise for each chapter. This is the one I found. This is something that's changed my life and I want it uh, for others. And I stay in contact with a couple of folks from traveling and I'll just check in and I'll say, how's Fred doing today? Well, another example in this, there was a basketball coach from a leading university in the country and he comes to me, they have an unbelievable winning record. And he says to me, he goes, I never measure up. He said, somebody asked me about our season and I said, well, I'm very disappointed. Or he said, I got up and ran a seven minute mile this morning for exercise. And he said, and when I got done, Fred says, if you had just hustled around the corner there, you would have finally broken that seven-minute mark. You can't get past. And so he and I have been going back on email, and I'm like, what's Fred doing? What's Fred saying? And the other day I get an email, he said, I just punched Fred in the nose. And I'm like, (laughs) yes, that little exercise, it sounds so simple. And maybe that's, again, that's that beauty of simplicity, but it really does matter. And that's something I'm very passionate about people getting. You know, as you're sharing this, I've walked through that process personally in my journaling. And the thing that's a challenge is when you start writing down what our Heavenly Father says about us, it almost seems unreal because that voice in our head has been saying the same thing for so long and we've acquiesced to it, we've given in, that when we start to read and then actually proclaim out of our mouths the truth of what God says about us, inside there's this tilt, that can't be right. 
What's up with that? And so it's a matter of reinforcing it, right? I would suspect that you need to reread, reread, say it out loud, and just keep it in front of you. Absolutely. It, it is so staggering when you see those two things compared. You know, during the writing of the book, I, I felt like God kept pushing me toward Romans 12. The spirit I gave you is not one of to live as a slave of fear again. And I went, what does that have to do with thinking? What does that have to do with thinking? What is that? And, I, and I finally was like, okay, I'll look it up. That lowercase spirit, the spirit I gave you, is it lowercase? It stands for dominant frame of mind. <laughs> I went, okay, the dominant frame of mind I gave you is not one of that of a slave who lives in fear. That's huge. Isn't that huge? Like, I, I don't want your dominant frame of mind to be fear. I want it to be love. And when I th- think about all the anxiety that people are experiencing right now, and it's, you know, it's more than ever, you know, it's living in fear. It's, it's fear of like, did I do something in the past that's going to keep me from having a good present and a good future? Or I'm fearful of the, of the future. And he says, look, what I gave you this dominant frame of mind that I've given you, it's not fear. It's love. But at the same time, I haven't lived that enough, I have, especially in my mind. I have not lived that enough in my mind. And to just invite him in, it's been revolutionary for me. And I'm so praying it's going to be for other people. But even neurologically, even before people add the scripture part, even this exercise, it's so powerful. Like, And it's been around forever. But I really think adding what your Abba says to you versus just talking back to Fred is so much more powerful. For sure. Because the word of God does not return void. It accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. Oh, absolutely. Again, it's these things that we've heard over and over and over to the point where we don't hear them anymore. Yes. But just to go, oh my gosh, let us not forget in the middle of all the chaos, he's like, I got you. I'm holding you. I love you. I'm with you. I'm for you. Mm. I'm right here. I'm right here. Don't do life all by yourself. So good. So good, man. As we wrap this up here, Ted, what are some key thoughts that spring to mind that you tend to share as critical for marriage? You know, as I was going through those a a little bit earlier, I would just encourage whoever's listening just, just to pick one. I think, again, you know, what do you think about yourself? Just remember who you are and whose you are. Mm -hmm. I think that that would be huge. When you see your spouse today, if you put them through this filter of Philippians 4.8, I mean, those two things alone, Gary Smalley, the late great marriage guru, expert, lover of Jesus, he used to have a, a, a book on his wife. He called it the honor book about his wife, Norma. And it was this little journal and he would just write down all things he loved about her. And he said, when he knew they were going to have a hard conversation, he'd go read that first. It's not about living in denial. It's not about acting like something that's harmful is not there. It is a posture. It is about running your mind through a lens that postures you to love in the way you want to love. Because I believe people really do in their calm, neutral, non-triggered moments. You say, do you want to be a good spouse? Do you want to love your spouse? At the end of your life, do you want your spouse to be able to say, wow, they love me well? Most people say, absolutely. I just don't know how. And I think when we can just get our heads around it in just these little small, simple ways, I think it really can gear us in the right direction. Mm-hmm. How can people find out more about you and pick up your book? Right now, the easiest way to do that, I would just say, is go to tedlow.com, and that's low with the E. I just go to tedlow.com. The book's there. 
I oversee an organization called MarriedPeople.org. We create other resources for churches and for couples, but that's that's probably the simplest way. Okay. As we finish up here, would love to have you pray for our listeners, Ted. Absolutely. Heavenly Father, what a what a privilege it is to get to point people back to you. Thank you for that. Thank you for Brian and all he does for his listeners and just the, the constant persistence and patience and to just do what he's called to do, what you've told him to do several years ago to step out. And so listeners who have pushed play on this podcast, obviously because they're drawn to trust you more, or as Brian said, to move faster, to trust you faster, to do what it is. The people that are amazed with you, but maybe are fearful of that they don't have what it takes to do what it is that you would have them do. God, help us to know that we're not alone. Help them to know that they are not alone. That the same God that calls them to step out is the same God that will be there every step of the way. And uh, thank you that you are the exact God that you are. Thank you that you love us like we do. And again, I pray for these listeners in this moment in this moment that they would feel how radically loved they are by you. If they're questioning that for any reason whatsoever, that in this moment they go, I understand, I remember that he's got me, he's holding me, he loves me, and I can trust him. Trust him to do what it is he wants me to do or to not do. And I pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Ted, so good, man. Thanks for sharing your story. Absolutely. It's my privilege. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.